mentally knowing that like a medal is slipping away from you and you literally can't move your legs any faster it's just like the worst thing in the world OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app Tuesday's edition of Off the Ball plenty for us to discuss between now and 10 o'clock Carl Denny's going to be along with us looking back at what was a pretty decent European Championships for Team Ireland they concluded with a bronze medal for Mark English in the 800 metres on Sunday after a battle between Laura Moore and Kira McGeehan where McGeehan eventually took silver in the 1500 metres in a thrilling race on Friday night we'll be looking back on what was a pretty decent Red Monday in the end between Manchester in Liverpool United winning by two goals to one we'll be talking about that with Miguel Delaney and also Ireland legend Kevin Kilban on the football show and Fiona Hayes joins us to look back on what was a pretty comprehensive victory for the Irish women's rugby team against Japan the new generation coming through and putting 50 points up on a team who are going to the World Cup at the weekend delighted to say Ronan is alongside me how are you this evening Ronan Mullen? all good Will all good Yeah, you look back on Red Monday uh, I think back to was it now seven years ago from the original edition of Red Monday when Zlatan I made his debut it. and it didn't go quite well I can hear Richie McCormick already saying don't say it they said it multiple times last night Richie McCormick who's uh, hiding along in the <laughs> background as well uh, they did mention it multiple times last night and I thought Richie to be honest they weren't going to call it Red Monday because they wouldn't want to remind us of that game at Anfield Red Monday sounds like a 70s terrorist attack that happened on the continent somewhere and it should remain as such um, it's just dreadful branding for what is essentially just a game of football yeah, I mean, there was a lot of hype last night, Rich. Uh, it was, what, 90 minutes of build-up before the game. They went half six as opposed to seven o'clock for Monday Night Football. And look, I thought the game was reasonably entertaining. I mean, Liverpool were terrible by their own lofty standards and Manchester United were a massive improvement in what they've been the last few weeks. Yeah, firstly, on the 90 minutes of build-up, every game, any game, just needs five minutes. Go back to the old ITV standard of you join Elton Wellesby and, you know, Brian Clough in a box, side of pitch, teams are out, boom, there you go. Um, But on the game itself, like, it's really remarkable to think that that's the same Manchester United team, save two changes, who played against uh, Brentford and started against Brentford the week before. Like, setting aside how bad Liverpool were, and they have been bad so far this season, um, just the, the sheer upping in levels, in intensity, in willing to to take on a man to actually, you know, force the play on Manchester United's behalf was was superb last night. It really was. The crowd got behind them in a way that I don't think anybody really anticipated, especially with talk of protests, etc. etc. And yeah, like the, the players like Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford don't want to say reborn, but it's nice to see shoots of something positive from players who a lot of a lot of a lot has been expected of them over the last two, three, four years, and they haven't really delivered. So, yeah, from a Manchester United perspective, fantastic. From a Liverpool's perspective, very because they have been dogged by injuries. But even with that, the players that did start last night are central to how they play. I.e., Andy Robertson and especially Trent Alexander-Arnold. And certain teams, and it goes back to the Champions League final and maybe before that, look to have figured out how to play against them. And if you give them a chance to play against them and get in behind and actually test the defensive metal, particularly of Trent Alexander-Arnold, you're going to you know, enter them into a world of pain. And yeah. United did that several occasions last night and, and reaped the benefits. Ronan, it didn't have to be the Real Madrid model from the Champions League final that Manchester United to use. This was the Fulham model from the first game of the season. Is it an offensive thing to say that uh, it was... Yes, anything that follows those words, it's going to be yes. Go on. Is it an offensive thing to say that it was Solskjaer-esque performance from Manchester United? I know there's uh, li- little intricacies in... because they defended deep, they're on the counter-attack. Make the argument here. Yeah, I know. This is one of the ones I'm asking for trouble on the internet here. But, like, there was obviously um, 
keynote moments like where they pressed in a coordinated fashion which was probably never present under the Solskjaer reign but that potent counter-attacking display where they sat deep and broke was on show yesterday and like Jamie Carragher made the point that he, he watches Liverpool week in week out obviously and they've, they insist on this high line um, defenders of top ilk would see that space in behind and think geez, I should probably drop when you see like forwards of the pace of the likes of Marcus Rashford for example but it's drilled into them don't drop don't drop but any game plan which sees an opposition player streaking in on your goal every single week can't be a good one because we saw what Wilfred Zaha did last week it, I was at the Fulham game same thing Fulham could have hammered them that day if they took their chances and United were in on counters uh, openings as well yesterday so I understand the principles but Ten Hag for, on the flip side had to forego some of his principles shall we say from the Brentford game where that insistence of playing out from the back was shelved they, they didn't play from the back at all no, so graphically they went up an hour in De Gea had played not one short pass at that point yeah and Richie makes a good point on the the changes in personnel weren't plentiful but they were significant and, and obviously who was omitted and you look at the back four that played against Liverpool last week or sorry last year the 5-0 defeat it was a totally different back four last night and I think that's significant because can we say the Harry Maguire era is over are they ready to nip the bud on that 80 million pound signing and think is he uh, the first step is to leave him out yeah but test the waters I, w- I would say that as much as the the humiliation in Brentford was cataclysmic in many ways, it gave Ten Hag a firm platform to make these bold decisions. I think the Ronaldo one, not to come on Ronaldo's side in any way here, but like he's not match fit and I don't think Ten Hag ever foresaw that he'd be in the team were it not for Anthony Martial's injury. He would probably wouldn't have featured from the start yet. So that was an easier one in in, in practical sense. But the Maguire one has been coming for a long time like it's not even a form issue with him it's just to play a progressive brand of football at the top end of of the modern game with someone who lacks pace like that I think it's just too tricky Richie when it comes to Maguire it's different to Ronaldo too because Ronaldo can come in have cameo performances like last night they can rotate the front three at different times you drop your captain and your first choice centre back this indicates a change in approach from Ten Hag from here yeah, and there was a there was a, a nicely veiled dig in Ten Hag's post match interview on Sky last night. I was watching. Um, I kind of got overshadowed by his little slip of an f bomb in there. But um, he mentions just in passing that your forward players can't just be conserving energy, waiting for their offensive moves. I think was the term he used to transpire that they have to be, as John Giles has said several times about Liverpool. Oddly enough, on this show, they have to be all go go go. And like that, I don't think it was too hard to read between the lines and, and see that he mentioned like, you're, you're talking about a fairly immobile 37 year old when you talk about that. And they did become more susceptible to a counterattack as soon as Ronaldo came on the pitch last night. And I think that's why they had a pretty hairy last few minutes at Old Trafford last night. Um, it's hard to see how he continues on at the club. I don't think there's space from there. I don't think there's room from there. He in no way fits what Ten Hag is probably trying to set about at the club. And it would serve everybody well if he could find somewhere happy enough to pay his wages. Unfortunately, his wages are so exorbitant that there's no getting rid of him. And they might well be stuck with him until next 
next season. But I, certainly, to Ronan's point, he's not going to be a regular starter, and nor should he be, because the way United's want to go about a game under Ten Hag, attacking the opposition in their own half, Ronaldo's not the man to do that. Like, I, I made the Solskjaer point somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, like, he was lambasted for being a vibes man, Solskjaer, that it's all about, you know building up a good spirit and let the lads go out and do whatever they want and that's dismissed in so many quarters in modern football journalism it's all about the X's and O's and Ten Hag pointedly was essentially explaining that tactics are irrelevant if you don't get to the pitch of the performance on a human level and that's like if Brentford want to beat you more they're going to win the game I think he was saying this to Neville and Carragher in the, the sit down they had pre-match so that's man from heaven for Roy Keane who's like it's all about the spirit and the likes of Graeme Sinesse whose opinions on that matter are somewhat dismissed but th- these are lads who competed at the very top end of the game oh, they know if you're not clued in on huge th- elements of that though as well Roman if totally. you consider it right we're talking about how little they ran against Brentford and we're yeah. talking about the fact they were outrun by 13 kilometres by Brentford during the game and that was symbolically what the players had to run on Sunday morning when they came in for their recovery session but even last night you had particularly Lissandro Martinez early on in the game snapping into a tackle very yeah. early on to kind of set the tone totally. and you would Rashford playing with an amount of freedom and abandon and taking on defenders which he hadn't been doing recently Yeah and Malassia as well like there's something to be said for getting the fan on, fans on side in a game where you're coming off the back of a wretched defeat and United had to start fast and to your point Martinez snapping into that tackle and Malassia I think as much as we're talking about Maguire I think Shaw symbolises in many ways the I don't know drift or whatever like his career the lack of progression save for one good season under Solskjaer he's kind of never really kicked on whereas Malassia sprinting back into position and just showing and a palpable eagerness throughout is an easy way to get um, the fans on side and keep that sort of tempo up so they might have stumbled upon a system or maybe Ten Hag was uh, giving them enough of a he gave the, the old way maybe enough of a chance to prove it's not going to work anymore and that's given them the platform as I said to, to build from Hmm. Conversely, those two defeats may well have helped in the longer term. Uh, Michael and Finglesman contact him 53106. You can always text the show on that number or send us a message at Off the Ball on Twitter as well. Uh, whatever about Trent Alexander Arnold, what is Klopp seeing in Firmino? His contribution is absolutely zero. Um, wasn't helped, Richie, by the fact that Liverpool had no platform in midfield either last night, but yeah. um, Firmino, in a way, probably made it easy for the two United centre backs because he was always trying to receive the ball with his back to goal and you take Sadio Mane out of the team it takes away those diagonal dangerous runs going the other way and in a way as well as United defended Liverpool made it a little bit easier for them than normal as well Yeah they were pretty toothless uh, for the majority of the game and the team that has uh, Mo Salah and Luis Diaz and you know on form uh, on his day uh, Roberto Firmino shouldn't be toothless it's, it's gassed away in these couple of seasons that injuries have struck Liverpool um, particularly a couple of years ago in their championship defence when defence was an issue and suddenly realised oh god maybe we should have signed some centre-halves in the summer like when you're starting Jordan Henderson and James Milner at Old Trafford on the third, third night of the Premier League like maybe you should have signed some midfielders in the summer now I know they said they felt they didn't need any and there are injuries that you have to mitigate in there too to Thiago um, for one Um but you can't help but look at that midfield area for Liverpool and think that it needed refreshing. Even with the players that you have there, like with Thiago, he's always in, he's like constantly injured. James Milner is, you know, the wrong side of 35. 
and Jordan Henderson's not getting any younger either and played sparingly last season as well as a result of that so the argument's like, there Richie like even when Genie Wijnaldum left and things didn't work out well from last year at PSG but they could have done with an extra body coming into midfield okay Harvey Elliott is emerging but Naby Keita misses so many games Fabinho yeah. wasn't 100% fit at the start of this year and that seemed to be the feeling why they brought him on last night was because he wasn't 100% to start they needed bodies in midfield and Liverpool fans have been crying out for this for over a year now they do and uh, like I've, I've a lot of respect for Harvey Elliott I think there's a decent player in there I don't think he's going to reach the level that many might have presumed he would would have done when he was a youngster at Fulham at 16 I think there's been a levelling off to a degree after that leg break and that's understandable to be fair that can happen to player um, they did need to go out and buy uh, there's still time they're not going to um, but they did need to go out and buy another midfielder the Jude Bellingham thing isn't going to happen this summer he was probably the ideal candidate for somebody that could have been thrown into that midfield and Borussia Dortmund just aren't going to do business on him this summer but they need him or someone like him or multiples of someone like him come this time next year because it could be a pretty ugly season for them if the midfield continues to malfunction like it did last night. Ronan, we will talk to Miguel and to Kevin a lot more detail about it later, but is there concern now about Liverpool? Seven points dropped so far. It's been a very slow start to the season. Whatever with the United game where that's a rivalry meeting, they would have been expected to pick up full points, Fulham away, Crystal Palace at home. And if they're going to be title contenders, there's not much room for error now. Yeah, I think it'll probably balance out as the season progresses. There's probably enough quality at the top end of the pitch when Nunez, number one, can keep his head both literally and figuratively and you know find his feet in the Premier League. I think he'll, he'll contribute in a big way. And they might need to recalibrate their approach a little bit where midfield was such literally the engine room for the initial swathes of Klopp's tenure. They've... like. Proactively by signing Thiago, a more tactical player, and making him the fulcrum in there, they've gone away from that all systems go, all action midfield approach. And to your point, the age profile of some of the other players and lack of mobility therein, they can't be running teams off the park in the way they used to. So there will be a few changes in that regard. The Jude Bellingham one is interesting. Like if you if you're briefed by the right people, they would suggest they've gone a long way along with that deal for next summer and seems to fit the profile perfectly for Liverpool but that's presumably reliant on Champions League football I'm not saying that's endowed for Liverpool yet but if this form continues for any length of time they're going to find themselves in a little bit of a tricky position because Arsenal have started like a house on fire there and we know what Spurs and Chelsea are capable of and I'm definitely not putting Man United in that mix yet but there's there are doubts there that weren't there say after the Community Shield for example I think Liverpool fans would have been feeling a lot better about things after that and the tide has somewhat turned in the last month or so which might be arrested if they, if they do a little bit of business uh, towards the end of this transfer window the only thing is you've seen with Klopp previously if it's not the right player he's not going to sign somebody just for the sake of it so if it is a case of holding out for Bellingham next summer he might be more inclined to do that there you go folks Liverpool in crisis you heard the first there from Ronan Mullen the news round is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day where do you want to start tonight Rich? Uh, we'll start out west Kevin McStay says he will leave no stone unturned in trying to make Mayo competitive he was appointed as James Horan's successor last night on a four year term McStay's backroom teams comprise of former Mayo manager Stephen Rochford Donny Buckley Belmullet manager Damian Mulligan and Liam McHale speaking to Midwest Radio after last night's county board meeting the Mayo GEA chair Seamus Tui said he was glad that the lengthy process of appointing a successor to Horan was finally at an end 
I'm relieved to be at this stage. You know, uh, it was a, you know, a, a difficult few weeks. You know, to, to get to get to get to push this forward. But look, at I think it was an excellent process, in, in, uh, and I, I'm look at I'm delighted to be where we are tonight. I think the process, uh, you know, we 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 appointed the best person for the job at this particular time. Um, Kevin brought a, a very impressive team with them. Uh, indeed, all four candidates. I'll, I'll have to say the preparation that they, these guys put in and, uh, and the passion and the commitment that they showed was absolutely excellent. But I think, Kevin, I'd like to congratulate him on behalf of the board. I think he, he's an excellent appointment. I think it's ex- exciting times for me, OGA. And I think, look, let's push forward now and let's go have a good club championship. And hopefully, you know, the club championship will unearth, you know, four or five uh, new players that we can bring into the squad. There's a good baseline there at the moment between youth and experience. And look, let's build on it. Look, as I said, James Horton did great things for me, OGA. And I think, you know, we're in a good place. Ronan, the thing that jumps out there to me is the fact that the management teams were being assessed as opposed to who was at the front yeah. of the management teams. I know, I, like in Mayo's case, there were some very impressive um, teams that were put together that potentially could have taken over from James Horn. Yeah, like whatever about the pop idol paradigm that they've used to get to this stage, they've landed on a very good management team. There's no two ways about it. And they could have gone any really of those avenues and you'd have to look at it and be impressed. But some echoes with the Colin O'Rourke situation in Meath, whereby I think Kevin McStay was on with Joe about 18 months ago, a very interesting interview, but essentially was laying out his history in this regard and the fact that he's shown interest in the job both formally and informally previously and it hadn't come to pass and he possibly thought that ship had sailed but it's now he's heading up the regime as as you said and it's it's not a solo mission he's got a um, huge wherewithal personally but also like what what experience and expertise to be able to fall back on so Mayo just have to find a way to tally I was at the Kerry Mayo game which saw them exit the championship and there was a sense of end of an era stuff and I know people have floated that idea around this team a few times and they've proved people wrong uh, plentyfold but there is a sense there will be a regeneration period here in the next year or two and that's why the tenure or the terms of this arrangement are significant that they're giving him a few years to bet in new players where necessary and and complete that transition. So if I was a male fan, I'd be I'd be excited by this one. Mm, three plus one, Richie Wesley Fafana. Uh, he didn't want to play at the weekend for yeah. Leicester, along with Tielemans was watching from the stands, and Chelsea appear to be making their belated official move from them. They have, yeah. Leicester have rejected a third bid from Chelsea for defender Wesley Fofana. The latest bid is believed to total €83 million, Euro. that is including add-ons. Leicester are due to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on Saturday and Fofana is believed to be keen on that move. The defender not involved again for Leicester's Carabao Cup second round tie tonight. That is away to Stockport County. But former Bozeman Paddy Madden is on the bench for County tonight. Ron, it's hard to see this end well, uh, where Tielemans and Fafana don't want to play for Leicester right now. And obviously they sat out the game at the weekend. And Fafana's case particularly, I think it's been pointed out, he was a Chelsea fan when he was a kid and he wants the move to happen. Convenient how that often happens when someone's in the middle of a transfer saga. And at the moment, where you're talking about like £70-plus million pounds as a base fee here, it'll surely get to a point where they'll agree one. Yeah, and Leicester, not the most... Um glamorous side of this news story particularly with, with Chelsea involved and the amount of cash they're splashing but their summer activity or lack thereof uh, at the King Power Stadium is 
bizarre, isn't it? Like They've had financial fair play trouble, so yeah. they had to get some people off the books. Their hope was that if they sold one or two, they'd be able to keep everyone else. Mm. But the problem now is for Brendan Rodgers that you dig your feet in early in the window and you say, we're not selling Fofana under any circumstances. And then Tielemans gets his head turned and possibly wants to go to Arsenal. And now they may well lose one or both with no time to replace them. That's it. Like This has been flagged for, for months at this stage. And in the last couple of weeks, I know they've amended it in the last little while, but they were the only team in the top five leagues in Europe that hadn't signed anybody. And Kasper Schmeichel, granted in the final chapter of his career, was gone without much fanfare. And you're thinking, like, what, what is... Still an important player when they hadn't brought in a first-choice goalkeeper for him either. For sure. Yeah, so like the Leicester thing is fascinating. But then on the Chelsea side, as I said, Todd Bowley playing football manager here and, and signing all the the up-and-coming players and I felt sorry for Koulibaly at the weekend. I don't think this is necessarily what he bargained for, finding himself in the left-back position against the, a high-pressing Leeds team in, in that Chelsea back three. So, I don't know. Is there there's some rhyme or reason to what they're doing? But the Fafana one would at least, in theory, uh, free up Rhys James to play in his actual position there at right wing back. And the knock-on effect of the Fafana deal to that end might be valuable. Um but what they do elsewhere with the Aubameyang thing, it's um, Chelsea are in a little bit of flux as well, and, and Tuchel's, I think Tuchel's temperament is echoing that a little bit as well. Yeah, and uh, Tuchel at the weekend particularly insistent they need a number nine going into the season, especially now that Timo Werner and Lukaku have left. They're not going to rely on Kai Havertz uh, to be their key attacker. Uh, Seamus Coleman was on the show with you last week. Uh, Richie's yeah. back in the field tonight. He is, yeah. He makes his first Everton start since May tonight. The Republic of Ireland captain has been named in the Everton starting 15, starting 11, pardon me, uh, wrong code, for their Carabao Cup tie away to Fleetwood Town. Anthony Gordon is named on the bench amid reports he's told the club he wants to leave also for Chelsea, funnily enough. Recent signing from Bohemians, Promise Amashare, is on the Fleetwood bench tonight. Elsewhere this evening, Aston Villa are away to Bolton. Southampton travel to Cambridge United. Brentford are away to Colchester. Fulham are at Crawley Town. Nottingham Forest make the trip to Grimsby. Bournemouth have a tricky trip to Norwich for whom Adam Eda could make a first appearance since May. He's been named on the bench for the Canaries tonight. Crystal Palace go to Oxford for whom ex-Sligo goalkeeper Ed McGinty starts. Wolves and, and Nathan Collins at the heart of their defence entertain Preston and Greg Cunningham starts for Preston with Alan Brown and Troy Parrott on the bench. Elsewhere, Georgie Kelly starts for Rotherham against Morecambe with Chidozio Benny and JJ Coyote on the bench for them. Lots of Irish involvement as well at Pride Park where David McGoldrick starts as does Jason Knight for Derby County they're at home to West Brom with Callum Robinson and Dara O'Shea both starting for them so it's going to be a busy night for Irish players across the water Yeah Brian and Kildare on contact on 5306 how long till Brendan Rodgers is back up in Scotland Chancer is what Brian thinks of uh, Brendan Rodgers who's had a hard time with players looking to leave the club at the King Power this summer uh, they will be keeping Jamie Vardy though for three more years I think he's going to be 38 when that transfer uh, or sorry when that contract finishes up um, Eagle Bills need paying well there you go. Yeah, it's an expensive time uh, for Jamie Vardy this summer has been. Uh, away from Waggett at Christie then, uh, we had the Velta today and how did Sam Bennett get on? A uh, bit of ups, bit of downs for Sam Bennett today. Primoz Roglic won the fourth stage of the Vuelta España, claiming the overall leader's red jersey in the process. He pipped Mads Pedersen to the line at LaGuardia. Sam Bennett picked up 10 more points by crossing the line fifth at today's intermediate sprint. But Pedersen has closed the gap on Bennett in the race for the green jersey to just nine points with that second place finish today. Yeah, we're arguing about some of the management teams that still have to be filled here. Uh, Limerick are going to have to find a new football manager. Billy Lee has stepped down and awfully potentially are closing in on finding their hurling management team. 
Yeah, Billy Lee surprising many by stepping down as the Limerick football manager today. He had been in charge for the past six years and arguably this last year was the most successful. Limerick reached the Munster final, of course, and they were promoted to Division 2 of the Allianz Football League. While Johnny Kelly has emerged as the front runner for the Offaly hurling job, as you mentioned, the county board opted against extending Michael Fenley's tenure earlier this summer. Former Tipperary manager Liam Sheedy had been touted as a potential replacement, but subsequently poured cold water on those links. Kelly worked under Fenley with Offaly and has guided sides to county titles in Offaly, Tipperary and indeed his native Galway, namely Portumna. What's the word on this one, Will? Um, I think this is the way that they're going to go. Um, I think the feelings seem to be on the ground once the initial stories were coming out about... like Liam Sheedy was pretty much put to the forefront of this idea, uh, particularly when the first reports came out in the mirror, that it would be Eamon O'Shea possibly as the front man with Liam Sheedy there in the background. But yes, all the feeling locally was that Johnny Kelly has still been in conversations with the county board, despite the fact uh, that Michael Fenley left, that Johnny Kelly would be potentially staying on. I think the latest was that Johnny Kelly would be very much to the forefront potentially with O'Shea involved as a hurling coach possibly and if Liam Sheedy's to have any involvement it would be a lot closer to his role with Monaghan where he was more of a consultant rather than being a hands-on coach so either way it's still a very high profile management team for a team who will be in the second flight in both league and championship for next year but I was never quite totally convinced uh, when we heard the rumours first about it being O'Shea and Sheedy together as the management team and like Offaly have just been plagued with rumours over the last month between Davy Fitzgerald and whatever else around Michael Fenley but uh, we shall see when we see I think is the feeling on the ground at the moment must be a lot of decently sized expenses forms in that county well uh, again that's the thing and that's why I never really believed some of the management teams that were being linked with it that um, awfully have to cut their own cloth as much as they've had finance coming in from new sponsorship deals and you know, Shane Lowry supporting bursaries and so on I don't think they were ever likely to go in heavy on management teams even if supporters are dreaming of that idea I think they'll cut their cloth for Division 2 hurling and Division 2 championship hurling for next year um, from one potential appointment in Offaly to a man we just mentioned in Shane Lowry uh, to finish off uh, Rich he's not going there's no team nope. 30 uh, for the uh, Hoylake this weekend unfortunately for him or for Eastlake even he's not going along to the FedEx final round of the playoffs yeah I don't know if he's currently picketing outside the offices of the PGA Tour but Will Salatoris has been forced to pull out of this week's Tour Championship the world number 9 has not won but two herniated discs however Lowry won't be replacing Salatoris and just 29 players will compete at the Tour Championship but he's like Lowry finished just one place outside the top 30 in the FedEx Cup rankings but he won't be playing it this weekend ah it was a miserable finish for him at the weekend uh, bogey on 17 put him back and then it looked like Adam Scott might miss out but then Adam Scott uh, managed to clean up on the 18th and he misses out by one place and now one of those players of the 29 is going to have no playing partner for the first two rounds uh, but Larry will not be getting uh, the lucky invitation to come in as number 30 Ronan thanks a million for joining us Richie as well for joining us on the news round cheers lads